0: Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good wherever you are right now, it is The return, the triumphant return of the Hammer and Rails podcast. We've been away for a few weeks, but we have a hard, fast rule around here, and that is whenever Purdue selects a new athletic director, we will have a podcast for it. And that is the news that happened today. There has been white smoke from the Purdue Bell Tower. We have a new pod... We have a new podcast. We have a new athletic director. Uh, But we also have a guest here today with us. We have Joey Weaver of... From the Rumble Seat, our fellow technology expert and gold-loving college football, college sports-loving, from the ACC. How are you, Joey?
1: Gentlemen, I'm doing well. Uh, I, like you said, I am a fellow engineer, so I see that I'm in good company.
0: Uh, I, I was the fool that went to an engineering school for, for communication. I always was told I should have been an engineer, and then I look at my paycheck and I agree, yes, yes, I should have been an engineer. (laughs) But uh, Joey is here to talk about our new athletic director, his old outgoing athletic director, Mike Babinski, uh, who was at Georgia Tech the last three years. And I guess, first of all, the big question that we Purdue fans uh, want to know is, what can you tell us about Babinski specifically with how he relates to football and how he can potentially fix our football program especially since, well... You guys did go to an Orange Bowl two years ago and even won it.
1: Yeah, so it's a little hard to gauge uh, with Babinski. Considering you're right that under his tenure, we did you know go to the Orange Bowl, win that Orange Bowl, you know saw uh, one of the program's heights in recent history. But at the same time, that was kind of you know for for nothing that Babinski did. Um, Paul Johnson was actually hired by the previous athletic director Dan Radakovich, who's now at Clemson, um, and it was actually kind of during that Orange Bowl season that Babinski was gearing up to to fire Coach Johnson, uh, and then they kind of went on this roll, and I think that, I remember hearing a story of, uh, they, they beat Georgia in overtime, first time they'd won that game, and, you know, since the first year of Johnson's tenure in 2008, yeah, huge rivalry win, uh, a lot of bad blood there, they come off the field, they're all excited, and apparently Babinski was just speechless and about white as a ghost, you know, because he, he was so ready to fire Paul Johnson at that point, he knew that he just couldn't, he couldn't get away with it, and so uh, waited a little bit too long to kind of pull the trigger on what he wanted to do ended up having to give him an extension for probably more money more time than he wanted to and and i think that's kind of the story honestly you know you ask of what, what did he do to kind of shape things what do we know about how he handled things and unfortunately the answer is kind of i don't know much um it didn't seem like he was particularly active or you know really didn't act with a seeming sense of urgency so so i don't really know what a football program would have looked like as shaped by Babinski. It was more just we see the one that he kind of inherited and didn't see a whole lot of uh, change really either way during the time that he kind of oversaw it all.
0: Well, I, fi- I find that very interesting where you're saying he was going to potentially fire Johnson. And what, what was Johnson's first year? Was it 2008, you said?
1: Yep, he started in 2008. And then that year would have been 2014, so okay, about seven years in or so.
0: He's looking to fire a coach that I'm looking at your records here. nine and four, eleven and three, six and seven, eight and five, seven and seven, seven and six, and then the year that he was supposedly gonna get fired, 11 and three, pair of orange Bowl appearances. Three appearances in the ACC championship game, too. Gee, Juan, it uh, would be really nice to be able to fire a coach that was just that mediocre,
2: right? I, I guess so. I guess they have to run <laughs> out of hope in order to fire a coach here for you.
0: It's interesting that he's coming into a situation where, you know, was looking to fire a guy that you know has been pretty successful by all metrics. I mean, last year was uh, Johnson's first losing season in a while. And, you know, of course, I don't know how much you know about Purdue's program, but uh, we have the infamous Daryl Hazel where six wins in three years, three of them against FCS teams. So uh, I, I think that Purdue fans will find I, – I think we'll find it interesting that somebody was looking to get rid of a much better coach while uh, the big question today was, okay, what what is he going to do with Hazel? Obviously, he's not going to fire him today, but – I think our question is, what do you, what does Hazel have to do to stay around after this season? Obviously, we don't know about that. We're going to get this season. What was your impression about Bobinski, uh, kind of in res- relation to uh, other sports and everything?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first, first of all, uh, continuing on the football thing for just a second. Um, obviously, there is that kind of stigma i guess that you typically see with new athletic directors that they want to bring their own people in and so i think that combined with some elevated expectations were really the driver behind you know let's find someone to replace paul johnson i think there's a lot of people fans and boosters alike who felt like he was kind of sinking into this seven wins per year groove and that this program has potential to be better than that so that was kind of the motivation there Obviously, if you know if someone could come into Purdue at this point and win six, seven games a year on a consistent basis, they might be considered a savior of sorts. So it's I think it's a little different, but I think he'll be you know kind of quick maybe to reevaluate the future of that program without knowing a whole lot about inner workings there. As far as other sports, um, that was another issue. A little bit was the seeming kind of indecisiveness with the basketball program. Um, so he came in. He also inherited uh, Brian Gregory, the former coach up at Dayton, who basically. basically. Basically, Georgia Tech hired needing to make a discount hire under uh, Radakovich because they were coming off of a terrible contract for Paul Hewitt. So they go get Brian Gregory, and it was kind of one of these things where Dayton fans were as excited as could be because they thought they were going to have to fire him, pay a buyout, all this. Um, Well, by the time Babinski showed up, Gregory was about what we expected of him. You know, was not very impressive. His teams were not performing well. It was not a good product. People were not coming to games. And uh, it was after the... 2014-2015 season that it was like all indications showed this guy needs to be gone and it was just a matter of of Babinski pulling that trigger uh and he didn't and the reason that really the only reason that makes sense as to why he didn't was finances basically again still kind of paying out a, a big buyout to Paul Hewitt uh thanks to a ludicrous contract that was given to him by the uh, you know, a couple of ADs ago. But uh, basically, not only you know was it not kind of in the budget, but Babinski was also kind of unable to raise any money to make that firing happen, which seems ridiculous considering how poor the the on court product had become uh, under Gregory. But at the same time, somehow it happened, and somehow they were not able to get him out. So he ended up getting another year in uh, before he finally was able to make that firing this year, and. Then came the coaching search, which took something like three weeks. There were at least half a dozen supposed leading candidates who supposedly turned down the job, according to sources. Uh, And the whole thing kind of became a little bit of a debacle uh, of seeming like there was no direction, seeming like uh, there was just, you know, just not a lot of anything impressive about it. And so uh, a lot of people were pretty, pretty frustrated with how he handled that. Um, there was also some concern, I think, that we had a, a long time, very successful softball coach uh, that Babinski took it upon himself to fire uh, at some point nobody was really too sure why, uh, and it really hasn't been a positive for the program. So it's like, I I wish I could come to you guys and say that that we saw a strong track record of of moves and decisions here. But um, at least, you know, in this region of the country and kind of what this program is and who its main competition is, uh, just sadly, I mean, it didn't seem like Babinski was getting it done. And so if you ever got a reaction today out of Georgia Tech fans, like, you know, not too upset that he's gone. I mean, that's kind of some of the the reason why.
0: That is is one of the things that I noticed is he seemed to draw a lot of acclaim from Xavier fans, uh, especially for bringing in Thad Mata and everything else there. But... It seems like Georgia Tech fans weren't exactly upset that he was gone, and I know for as a Purdue fan, we really didn't know much about him, uh, because they kept this hire pretty close to the vest. They weren't saying even who they were really interviewing or anything, so the first that we knew he was even a possibility was (laughs) was about 8.30 this morning when the news broke that he was going to be hired. But yeah, I find it interesting there, because it seems almost like you guys had a situation uh, kind of the opposite of ours, because we're pretty stable in basketball right now and Matt Painter has the program you know doing pretty well we've won a Big 10 title within the last 10 years or so and are consistently in the NCAA tournament but you know we may not have that success that somebody that a lot of other people want and a lot of people are already starting to draw questions towards Painter whereas our football program is a lot where your basketball program is so it makes me wonder if uh, if he would try to move against Painter which would be a bit of a surprise at this point
1: you know I kind of tend to think not um, and and I guess the only reason I think that is uh, basketball does seem to be Babinski's wheelhouse. And so I think that was a little bit of the the urgency that a lot of fans had of wanting him to get rid of Brian Gregory was it's like, it's like, it feels like if we can trust this guy to do one thing, it should be to hire a basketball coach. I mean, like you pointed out at Xavier, he hired what Chris Mack, Archie Miller and uh, Thad Mata. You know, that's a, that's a great track record there. That's three really good hires a, as tough as it can be to make one. And so there for a while, it looked like uh, they were going to get Bryce Drew out of Valparaiso Um, That seemed like it was going to be a very strong hire. And then kind of at the last second, he was swooped up by Vanderbilt. Um, And so I think that was kind of where the thing started to go off the rails. Excuse me, the hammering rails there for a second. And, uh, (laughs) you know, sorry, punt. I'll, you know, join in on this thing. I, I think that if Babinski knows anything, it's probably basketball. And I think that this coaching search probably just Got away from him a little bit. Um, I think he probably had a little more direction than it seemed like, and so um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that he's going to be trying to jump the gun to break up something that is successful. But if if he starts getting a little bit of pressure of hey things take you know take a southward turn there for a season or two, maybe he kind of takes it upon himself to again exert that new athletic director kind of uh, kind of ruling so to speak.
2: And I mean, a lot of the focus is obviously on football and men's basketball because that's the money makers. But another big sport at Purdue is also women's basketball, considering the 99 championship. And it's got me thinking, you know, a lot of people have been upset with the current head coach of Sharon Versa. People calling her second round Versa because whenever they do make it to the tournament, they always bow out in the second round. Seeing his impact on the men's basketball side, I kind of wonder if he can bring that same impact on the women's basketball side as well. I don't know if either Travis or Joey have any input on that no I'm
0: I'm definitely not a Sharon Versip fan at this point and of all the moves that Burke has made on the way out here the extending Sharon Versip really is troubling especially when we kind of let one get away with Stephanie White going to Vanderbilt and it was a chance to bring home perhaps our greatest player ever and you know a hot commodity as a coach but you know we'll see with that and it seems like that could be an area where where Babinski could move, especially given the tradition that we have. And that's one of the few programs that we at Purdue can say, yes, we've achieved national success uh, and we expect more from it.
2: But granted her transverse contract was extended. I never looked into the details, but it could be important to see how large is that buyout of hers. Maybe her contract was extended, but the buyout could be dirt cheap now. And with Stephanie White going to Vanderbilt, maybe she can use the, because she's been coaching the Indiana Fever the last couple of years. Maybe she can use that time to get all the errors out in the college level. And maybe in two years from now, we can bring Stephanie White into Purdue. Who knows? Please make it happen, Pavinsky. Please.
1: I was going to jump in here. Um, So first of all, I'll point out You know, to kind of as a disclaimer is that, uh, unfortunately, Georgia Tech is a place where really isn't a whole lot of attention paid by the general fan base to sports beyond football, men's basketball and baseball. Um, Maybe a little bit to golf or, you know, maybe some women's basketball at times. But um, the women's basketball program at Tech is also something we haven't gotten to gauge kind of how he would shape that. uh, Because the head coach since 2003 has been someone that Purdue fans might be familiar with is Michelle Joseph played at Purdue in the uh, early 90s. So again, she's been there since 2003 and has had a lot of success there. So really gave Babinski no real reason to to make any moves. Um, But that's kind of another core piece of what I'm able to tell you is that, I mean, he was only at Georgia Tech starting April 2013. So that's what 40 months just you know 40 months in a week which in terms of ADs is an extremely short tenure Uh, so it's kind of hard to see how he would long-term shape some of these things
0: and that that's kind of the biggest question that we have with uh with our program is is we need a long-term vision when it comes to football and everything and uh I know Juan mentioned buyouts and everything I guess my next question is is how did he kind of handle the financials and uh as far as fundraising as far as handling all the uh you know know all the TV money that's coming in and everything else for Georgia Tech I mean you guys don't exactly have that big uh, Big Ten Network money coming in yeah you get a good deal through the ACC but uh, he hasn't had a chance to work with the new ACC Network or anything else whereas no matter what he does at Purdue, he's going to be handed a very, very large check from the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, sure. So they, uh, Georgia Tech is in a little bit of a tight financial situation.
0: Basically, they had, uh, they had
1: several kind of major facilities upgrades in the last decade or really since the turn of the century. And, and so it's kind of put them in, in quite a bit of debt that has kind of strapped what they can do from a you know from a salary standpoint everything like this that said it's it's you know I can't really say that he did a ton in the way of fundraising um, I, you know it, it never seemed like something that got better and again uh, with as poor as the basketball product was it shouldn't have been hard to to scrape together a few dollars to you know to fire a guy that was kind of leading up this consistently mediocre or subpar program yet it kind of just didn't work out that way. The one thing that I will say though, that he did, I thought he did very well um, was with some of the contracts that were given out recently. Um, Georgia Tech had been hampered for several years, if not you know a decade or more by some really poor contracts and extensions and everything else that were given out. And in kind of the recent extension given to Paul Johnson, the head football coach and the recent contract given out to Josh Passner. I think that they were structured in a way that um they might have kind of seemed a little bit lucrative as far as salaries and things like this but they weren't going to be just complete like crippling, you know, things long term if if push came to shove and they had to fire somebody. So I think that some of the contracts that he's retooled and kind of updated have been, have been very successful updates. So that's about the best that I can speak to from a financial situation. Uh, I know even just recently, as in like yesterday, uh, after practice, You know, Coach Johnson was mentioning that he felt like they were really falling behind in the quote-unquote arms race of college football. You know, the locker room needed to be updated, the staff wasn't getting paid enough, things like this. And this was in response to some things that Babinski had said on Saturday at the media day kind of to kick off fall camp, where he had said, oh, well, you know, nothing's ever been mentioned to me saying, you know, about we need to to make upgrades or pay anybody more. And Paul Johnson basically came out after practice, got in front of the media and said, no, that's just not true. Like, I've, I've gone to him and asked him for these things before. And I think that was partially Babinski trying to be a little more dedicated to basketball. Um, basically, if you look at the again the contract given to Passner, but also to his assistants. Each of his assistants is making roughly a quarter million dollars a year, which is more than anybody on the football staff except for Paul Johnson and the defensive coordinator Ted Roof. Um, basically, every other coach on the staff is making less than every coach on the bench at the you know the basketball program. So I think that was where some frustration was too, but also kind of shows a, a certain dedication to basketball over over football, and that may have come from you know basketball at this point needs more attention at Georgia Tech than football does to get to a successful product but again that's just kind of what I can gauge from the situation.
0: And, and that's good news for us to hear because uh, part of the problem that we're having with Daryl Hazel is he was basically handed a $12 million guaranteed contract from the beginning over six years. The school tried to tried to blow some, uh, well, the buyout had nothing to do with him uh, staying around for the 2016 season. However, when he had, six point, I think it was $6.7 million, he was still owed no matter what to uh even if he was fired after last year and going six and thirty in those first three years and given the school's financial uh, tendencies to be very very frugal over time <laughs> yeah it w- it w- it's it's been a bad contract and it's pretty obvious that we can't get out from under it right now so especially knowing that we may be looking for a new football coach here you know in, in a few months it'll be, it's nice to know that hopefully he'll make a a better decision when it comes to the contract for him, at least from the beginning. I guess. Uh, one. Uh, I guess. What else can you tell us about him, really? Uh, I know. Like you. Like you said earlier, he was only there for three years, and uh, there were a lot of things that I saw today. Uh, especially the one. Uh, the one where he had the nickname of uh, Sasquatch because he was never around. Was there really a reason for that, or no? That was something
1: I, I had kind of heard a little bit of something about over time but i think really kind of blew up today um and there was there was a lot of kind of insider news reporting tidbits you know whatever you want to call them that came out today and i will say it was kind of odd timing to be really like crapping on someone on the way on the way out the door um i think everybody even on on georgia tech side people were a little suspect of like you know they waited till now to make all this stuff known, but yeah, I mean, there is a, a little bit of a sense of, I think maybe a, a a distance of kind of, you know, he wasn't as hands-on maybe as, as others have been. Uh, I don't know if that's a, necessarily a good or a bad thing. Um, I will say he was always a very a very nice guy, a very forthcoming guy. Um, one of the things that he did when he first took over at Georgia Tech was. He started doing a a weekly radio segment with uh, the afternoon radio, you know, sports radio show in Atlanta, um, and basically just opened himself up to any questions that they wanted to ask. And obviously there's a certain level of, of respect and, you know, they're not going to sit there and just totally grill him, but um, it kind of, it added a level of uh, transparency and maybe a level of publicity that uh, Georgia Tech surprisingly doesn't really get a bunch of in Atlanta as they get very overshadowed by Georgia and even some other uh, regional kind of college teams. Uh, I think there were, there were some things that That he did very well. And again, I I feel kind of crap, you know, kind of bad that I feel like I'm crapping on him a little bit with some of these things. Obviously, he's had a lot of success in the past, kind of in that region of the country. I think that was a piece of it, uh, of him kind of wanting to go back up there. And so maybe culturally, maybe uh, just. The way that things are set up with how schools operate up there versus down here, how donors operate up there versus down here, Um, maybe it'll be a better situation for him, honestly. Um, That was a lot of the feedback that people were kind of saying was just never felt like a good fit at Georgia Tech. But that's not to say that he wouldn't be a fit at, you know, at Purdue or somewhere back up in that uh, kind of that Midwest region. So. I, I think there were some good things. Um, I should also probably point out here a couple months ago, he released a new like strategic plan for Georgia Tech. So something he had recognized was there was a lack of kind of cooperation, I think, between the different programs. You know, the the football program oper- operated completely separate from the basketball program, from the golf program, from the tennis program, et cetera and said you know we need to do a little bit more to like actually work together to accomplish each other's goals. You know I remember one of the things in there was like if a volleyball player comes in on a recruiting trip and she wants to meet the head basketball coach well you need to make sure that he meets her. You know it's kind of work together to make everybody's goals happen. And so that was kind of the the basis of this strategic plan that he released here a couple months ago. Um, again kind of weird that he's not going to be able to see that fully through. but. I think he's got some good ideas, and and I think he can be successful. Just this wasn't maybe the best situation for him. It just wasn't a great fit.
0: And again, it it seems like there's a lot of similarities there because Purdue is not one of the top 10, or not one of the big 10s. You know, more well known teams. And we're also in a situation where, like, Georgia kind of dominates your state. Uh, We have Indiana that dominates this state when it comes to basketball. You have Notre Dame for football. And, you know, you have three major Division I programs within a pretty small state of Indiana. So he's trying to carve out that niche and everything else. Maybe it's a case of his experience down there will help him to kind of get Purdue a little bit bigger of a place at least at least here locally
2: one thing that i find interesting I'm, I'm pulling up the usa today article on all the sports finances and he's going to be working with about a similar budget at purdue uh this is the 2014-15 numbers and according to this georgia tech had about 77 million dollars in revenue with $74 million in uh, expenses while Purdue here brought in total revenue of $75 million with $74 million in expenses so and guessing that financial perspective is a bit more of a lateral move of course the one big difference here too is that Purdue is one of the 12 schools in the nation that have no subsidy from the university or government it's a bit more of that keeping it in the black more important as the, that Burke always says as well but of the 12 schools that have no subsidy Purdue has the lowest revenue of those 12 so and, and think,
0: that's with that's with football being what it is and uh being the uh-huh. welfare queen of the big 10
2: right well the the latest report from their review of plan 2020 they were expecting that pretty football is going to continue to lose money here in these next couple years like it was it was not an optimistic outlook for football i can tell you that and,
0: and- And that is that is very I think that's such an epitaph to Morgan Burke's tenure in that in an era with the most lucrative TV contracts in the history of college sports, he has managed to make it a deficit in the most Mm -hmm. lucrative sport in all the tv contracts and the biggest tv contract of all the conferences and he has dug purdue into the hole that it is in and that's just that's just very telling
2: at least when i was reading like this the reddit comments and whatnot a lot of georgia tech fans felt like he wasn't You know very understanding of a football program but i mean you have to remember our former head coach joe tiller said that morgan was not a football guy and that he didn't have the skills or background or the knowledge to evaluate what was going on with the football program so i mean really it can't get worse than morgan burke at least when it comes to football when your own former head coach is saying he doesn't understand how to evaluate the whole program i mean oh and
0: that would that let's just let's add the caveat there that was 10 years ago that he said that (laughs)
2: <laughs> I I did not know about that date. Well, it, it has
0: to be. It's, it's about 10 years ago because uh, uh, Tiller's last season was 2008, and I know that he had that uh, attitude long before his final season. I feel like
1: college football has really evolved a lot in that time frame as well. Like One of the things that, that we've been looking at lately is Georgia Tech is the last Power 5 program that is associated with Russell Athletic. Literally 64 out of 65 programs use either Nike, Adidas, or Under Armour, and then there's Georgia Tech that uses Russell Athletic. And and you look at the contract that they signed to kind of extend that relationship back in 2008, and that thing is is just dwarfed by some of the recent ones, you know, Nike with Michigan and UCLA with, I forget who was it was, Under Armour, and some of these recent ones, I mean... The amount of money has just exploded for some of these things, and it has really added, a, I think, an extra level of complexity that it, it takes a pretty special individual to understand and, and maximize what they've got on it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's impressive, and it is, it, is, it is interesting to see, especially since Babinski is going to automatically have that Big Ten money right out of the gate, too, and uh, how long— I have no idea how long we've been with Nike, and I don't. I mean, Purdue's not one of the big brand switchers out there. uh, So unless unless we can get Reebok, uh, unless we have like somebody to be our sugar daddy from Reebok, like uh, Maryland has with Under Armour and stuff, I don't think that's going to change or anything. Yeah, I had never thought about it that way with uh, with the apparel companies or anything. Well, it looks like we are getting close to our uh, imposed time limit here, and uh, we're running out of time. We're running short on this. Plus I'm stumbling over my words like I've never spoken before. So uh, do you have any final thoughts,
2: Juan? Not too much. I'm cautiously optimistic about Babinski here. I kind of want to see what he does in these next uh, three years. I think that will be really telling of what kind of tenureship he'll have at Purdue. I'm just glad we have someone here with uh, previous athletic department experience reading Burke's profile on Purdue's website always made me cringe because he was the athletic director that came down from the grandstand back in the early 90s, which really makes him sound like a cheap hire that Purdue couldn't find anyone else to be athletic director. And I feel like that hurt him because it seems like there might have been a bit of a spin up time. And he really didn't hit his peak until the early late 2000s there. Um, I think they always say like 2009, 2010 was always the peak where that's where the most sports accelerated. Sorry, I'm just rambling now. Um, (laughs) But... Again, I think... We'll have to see how what he does in these first three years um, if those first three years go really well we could have a good tenureship here this, those first three years we have some shaky moves within the department who knows we'll have to see
0: re- really in the first three months uh, given the football situation too because if purdue goes something like two and ten three and nine in football mm-hmm. there's not going to be a lot of happy people if hazel sticks around for another year
2: but as we know after danny hope it's not about when you fire someone it's who you replace them with yes my you know? Firing Danny Hope, I mean, Danny Hope should have never been hired to begin with. Firing Danny Hope in 2012 was a good idea, even though now six and six seems like a dream. But Hazel was a risky hire, and it just didn't work out. And so we have to see who... If Hazel gets fired, who will be who will who will be replacing him?
0: Uh, Joey, you have any final fo- any uh, parting thoughts for us? Uh, way to cheer us up uh, because we're we're depressed around here as Purdue fans. We ha- we have an awful football team, and I don't know if you saw how our basketball team went out in the NCAA tournament, but it was one of the uh, all-time stomach punch losses possible. I'm
1: trying to remember that one, and I don't want to make you uh, relive it either. So, I'll uh, <laughs> Let, let's okay, just I'll,
2: say, let's just say the basketball team tripped over a little rock. I see. Wah, okay. Wah. Okay. Uh, got it. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I,
1: I don't mean to come in and just totally crap on the hire. Um, I, I think it's probably as much as a, a, it was a bad fit at Georgia Tech as anything. Um, honestly, if I'm a Purdue fan, I'm probably approaching this one with like some cautious optimism, you know, hoping that you get him back up into the region where he's most familiar and that he has had success in the past. And, you know, maybe it maybe it ends up working out a little better. Um, he he kind of walked into a, a bit of a, a weird, tough situation down here in, in various ways. And so uh, hopefully a fresh start, you know, will will be good for Babinski and hopefully for Georgia Tech as well. Um, I don't I don't know that this is necessarily a, a, a bad thing for either program, honestly. So um, but like you said, I'll be interested to, to see what he does. And um, you mentioned kind of those first three years. It's like his first three years at Georgia Tech were technically his last three years. So it's like <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly how to uh, gauge that any any differently, but. It certainly will be interesting to watch. but, uh, but I do appreciate you guys having me on. This has been fun.
0: We appreciate you for stopping by. I mean, this was was very informative, and it sounds like there are a lot of similarities here between the programs. And uh, like you said, it'll just be interesting to see what happens uh, with with just the beginning of his tenure, and especially how right out of the gate it looks like he's going to have a uh, very important decision to make probably in late November, early December. So uh, with that, I guess that means we'll sign off. And so for Juan and for Joey and for myself, this is the end of the Hammer and Rails podcast. We thank you for listening. And uh, Boiler Up, we hope to have one, uh, at least one more, hopefully before the football season starts. So thanks a lot for listening.